ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first Red Voices episode of 2017. Here's hoping you had a fantastic New Year, but if you didn't, at least United won either side of New Year's Day for you. You and Rich on duty tonight to go over the thrills and spills of wins over Middlesbrough and West Ham United that leaves Jose Mourinho's side banging on the top front door. So, Rich, how was your New Year, my friend? It was it was pretty damn good, thank you. Good, good. What did you... How was yours? Not bad. I do remember a particular moment when I was over in the Fair Lincolnshire, not too far away from your good self, uh, when uh, Chelsea Dagger came on and I changed the lyrics of the main chorus to Lantern Banter, 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 Lads and Lads and Football, something along those lines. <laughs> Okie dokie. That's just where the evening took me, to be quite frank. It, it sounds like it was an excellent evening. It was an excellent evening. It was an excellent evening with good friends, good food and good drink. But I can't really complain. But yes, two football games to discuss this evening, Rich. Let, let, let's wind ourselves back, even though it feels like quite a long time ago now, to uh, Saturday afternoon, 3 o'clock kickoff at Old Trafford against uh, Fern Middlesbrough, 8 o'clock Middlesbrough. Um, sum that up for me. Well, we obviously had the most ludicrous disallowed goal in the history of all disallowed goals ever. And it looked like it's been another of those games, really, didn't it? We, we had most of the ball, we had all the chances, didn't score. Then Borough scored from a moment of stupidity really at the moment of switching off which we've been a bit prone to um, well we said we were certainly prone to until about a month ago and you know we, we've become used to United not responding to going behind and I suppose it's it's kind of symbolic of the the change in in form and belief in the team that we did actually turn it around and and won the game you know a game that we should have we should have won more easily in large part due to the referee but also due to ourselves so but it was really heartening that we now clearly have that that belief that we can score. And it, it, the moment after we scored the equaliser, it felt like we were going to score again, and we did. So, you know, I think that was just another another game which shows you how far the team has come in the last six weeks. Absolutely. How many times? I mean, ever I guess in that last season, in particular under Van Hal, could we say when United were behind and when the chips were down, were we actually capable of mounting a recovery? Well, the last the last time we've come we've come back from. We've come back to win from a goal down late in the game was the Southampton away uh, in Fergus last season when we when we won three two and Van Persie scored a hat trick and the last time we scored twice so late to win the game was the was the ninety three win over Sheffield Wednesday ninety three uh, the ninety three the Bruce and uh, did Bruce score both of them he did didn't he Bruce scored both goals um, he did yeah that's that's the last time we've come back and won won a game we were behind in the last five minutes Good in the grief. Premier League. You know, I think that sh- that that shows the degree of of progress we've made. That you know, very rarely have, have United teams even been capable of that, and how we've done it, and that 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 wouldn't have happened in the last three years. There's absolutely no, no chance of that happening in the last three years. No, it, it's all about the belief, isn't it? They, yeah, it is. This is a team that now seem like they are, pardon the 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 daftness of the sentence, but they are singing from the same hymn sheet. You know, that is what is happening at the moment. We're seeing a team that is working hard for each other. That is syncing up well and you know we're seeing the benefits on the pitch you know to, to see United take that situation which you know it's several times over the last couple of years or consistently over the last few years we would have just buckled under you know we wouldn't have been able to respond we would have just faded out into the night and not provided anything but Mourinho has now got United believing in themselves again and you know it sounds really simple but it's such a huge aspect of why we haven't succeeded over the last three years since Ferguson retired we weren't in possession of managers who were able to translate that onto the players and Mourinho has been able to get this side thinking that no matter how late on it is we can still make something happen even if the game is going against us. It's not just about what Mourinho's 
done in terms of psychology. It's about who he's bought. And we've now got players in uh, Ibrahimovic, Pogba, um, Mkhitaryan particularly, who are clearly on a on a higher plane to any player we've, certainly attacking player we've had in the last three well, two years anyway, at least, but probably three years. And they certainly, Ibrahimovic and Pogba just, just ooze confidence, don't they? And I think if mm. you're if you're Herrera or Valencia or whoever, you look around and you you need a goal in the game and you look around and you've got Pogba and you've got Ibrahimovic and you've got Mkhitaryan and you've got Anthony Martial. And I think you look at that now as, and as opposed to earlier in the season when perhaps Pogba and Ibrahimovic were struggling a bit more and obviously Mkhitaryan wasn't there, you look at them now and you think, there's goals, there's goals here. And I know if, if I do the right thing here, if I give them the ball in the right areas, then we'll probably score a goal. Mm. And, that, you know, that's that's that the biggest thing I've said for the last, the, the last three years, the biggest thing we've, we've missed of, of match winners and, you know, players who have the belief in themselves to to win games out of nothing or to score when the chips are down. We just haven't had that at all. Mm. And they're so direct as well. You know those those three players I've, I've named. LVG's team was built around patience and slow passing and trying to wear teams down without you know ever going directly at teams. Whereas now we're really going for the throat. Some of Pogba's long passing is absolutely sensational and his ability to you know to break from midfield. And Mkhitaryan is just the the most direct of attacking midfielders. Ibrahimovic is just Ibrahimovic, and so you know the style is so different. It's it's not just the fact we're winning now but the style is so different we go for teams throats and I think teams are becoming scared of us again and that's important that's huge now let's uh just bring up the the big talking point of that first half Lee Mason's disallowed goal uh from Zlatan Ibrahimovic is absolutely not foul having looked back at that can you see any particular reason that the referee shouldn't have given that no it was terrible that's fair enough the only thing I can see from having seen that replay was that perhaps with Zlatan having his foot that high, being such a big dude, had he left his foot there after he'd hit the ball, that might have been enough for a foul. But Valdez was but so didn't. slow to come out. He re- retracted his foot, as one often does in that situation. He scored the goal. And Valdez essentially just clattered into Ibrahimovic at that point. You know, it's not yeah. like a, it's a foot race. You know, Ibrahimovic yeah. has got to the ball with plenty of time in order to make that happen. It was a very odd call. He had. I mean, Ibrahimovic had two feet on the floor when, by the time Valdez hit him, he was almost he was almost half celebrating by the time, by the time he was hit. And essentially, a goal was not given because the the, the goalkeeper was very slow to get out to to Zlatan. Mm. You know, the mistake there was Valdez. If anybody fouled anybody, it was it was Valdez clattering into Ibrahimovic. I, I just can't. Even if even if the referee had a poor view from behind it. Ask your linesman because the linesman would have been able to see that, that the foot wasn't high at the point of contact. It was absurd. It was ridiculous. I, I can't think of too many goals that I've seen ruled out that were as ridiculous as that. Thinking about the rest of the game, though, I mean, our uh, our first goal, Martial's goal, didn't come until eighty-five minutes. Despite that disallowed goal, I definitely sent some frustration from you from Twitter that uh, you weren't necessarily happy with the way things are going. It wasn't. It wasn't that. It's that I was frustrated that we weren't finishing our chances again. We, you know, we did create we did create quite a few chances in that in the second half, and it was a very attacking display, and we didn't finish them. And it just at that point, it felt like the Burnley game or or the Stoke Stoke game, and particularly the Burnley game or, or West Ham at home in the league, where we, we were creating chances and we just weren't sticking them away. And it felt like to a point we'd regressed. And then Middlesbrough kind of it was the sucker punch. I mean, I said we suffered earlier in the season for just momentary lapses of concentration, and that's what happened with Smalling. He just, he just, he just 
fell asleep and didn't didn't go with the midfield runner into the box, mm. and that's what caused the goal. And at that point, bearing in mind how unlikely it would it was that any team would turn it around from there, then that that was a, a big point of frustration. I, and it was just re- I didn't want us to go back to talking about ruining our missed chances or the goalie having a great game or things like that. You know, it would have been really frustrating to regress back to that again. But of course, we we responded in the best possible way, so we didn't. No, absolutely, <laughs> it was quite wonderful. I was uh, on a train to Stanford at the time, and uh, signal was in and out at this stage. And uh, I think it was about eighty four minutes that my signal chucked out, and then I was signalless for five minutes, which was not much fun. Came back onto Twitter, and then suddenly was scrolling through amidst of uh, yes, Pogba, Martial tweets. Suggesting that the game had actually gone quite well, which is quite nice, yeah. I'm not going to lie. Martial had one of his best games in a very long time for us. Um, yeah, tell me about Martial. What what made him so much better than we've seen over the last couple of months? He was just doing all the things that he that he used to do last season. He was taking his fullback on. He was you know he was destroying his fullback at times. I mean, it was his his cross that his dribble and cross that led to the um, disallowed Ibrahimovic goal. He had a couple of really good efforts himself that the Valdez saved. He was just it looked it's looked this season like his confidence has just been shot at times and he's he's been scuffing shots and he's been not taking players on and running into the running into the fullbacks and that was gone. He was he was back to eighty percent of what we saw at his best last season and he you know, he was a real goal threat again. And you know, it was reward for his performance that he got the goal in the end. So let's push forward to that goal. Could you actually see a scoring at that stage when uh, you know there was wonderful ball from Pogba, and then Ibrahimovic's knockdown was absolutely pin perfect. <laughs> Valdez was essentially left with no chance and was stood up like a scarecrow by the time Martial actually slid that in. It was a lovely goal, but could you actually see it coming? Be honest. No, not really. And not, 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 it wasn't that we weren't creating chances, and we, we brought we brought Matter on, who made a lot of difference. Um, we had Rashford on, who was very lively on the left, and you know created a few opportunity, a few decent positions himself. We were attacking far more efficiently, and Middlesbrough were clearly on the rack and just looking for, to, you know, to get the three points and then and then the point after we equalised. But it just looked like it was one of those days. But then it's, it's really testament to what I was saying about us now being far more direct than we were, that it was essentially a, an accurate long ball forward, a flick down by the centre forward and, a, you know, a, a, a striker running from deep to, to run onto it and finish. You know, it was, it, was a, it was one of those goals that feels really good to see a score, but just because we haven't scored the, those sorts of, those sorts of goals for three years mm. or for two years certainly very tasty and direct wasn't it it was it was it's was brilliant and you know the thing that Ibrahim Rich has brought and I didn't appreciate it quite um, as much as I should have done before he actually came and you watch him closely at United is just what an incredibly enormous man he is he is massive you know he's beef um, and he's so <laughs> tall and he's so de- he's so he's so he's so effective in the air as well I mean he's a complete centre forward isn't he I mean if he had if he had lightning pace I'd, I think we'd be talking about a Messi or a Ronaldo in terms of all round game and talent and, and I think he's only one goal short of Messi's total for 2016 anyway that's true but, I mean yeah. it's absurd he's, he's 35 it's absolutely absurd mm. I mean at the, at the stage of the equaliser I would imagine most of us were feeling you know a mixture of relief and uh, well gosh you mentioned it yourself Rich when we actually uh, when it came to actually getting that equaliser you suddenly thought as soon as that first goal went in we could get the second describe to me your feelings when Pogba headed home for the second one barely a minute and 20 seconds later I actually laughed 
my girlfriend asked me I was laughing and it, I just it just felt like we were going to score which is ridiculous from four minutes to go but mm. I, ju- I just felt like a second goal was coming at that point and, and it was just it was just funny that it did because it seemed so inevitable and again I think it was um, it was absolutely it was Pogba because he just had another insane insane game mm. he's putting in you know incredible performance after incredible performance now and, and it was you know that header was far harder than it appeared it had to be really carefully guided and the, the ball wasn't actually in front of him he had to kind of arch his neck to get the get the direction and, and power behind it it was just it was just a lovely got created by Matty you know we'll, we'll talk later I guess particularly after today about how Mourinho's substitutions are the antithesis of LVGs and that Mourinho actually makes subs which change games or he has been making subs that change games and Matter made a huge difference when he came on and obviously he got the assist for the equaliser but yeah I mean it just it just looked like it was coming and it's not easy because Middlesbrough don't really don't concede a lot of goals they're set up to to defend to be compact and you know catch catch someone on the break or get the old well, goal. Get the agreed, though, really, aren't they? Well, yeah, exactly. So you know, scoring twice wasn't. That, I think they they drew at City, didn't they? I think that was one all. They drew at Arsenal nil nil. So they're not an easy team to break down. So that was actually a really decent win in the mm-hmm. circumstances. Absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> again, a game that many of us would expect United to win, but given the actual context of what happened, given the fact that we again struggled to convert our chances and given that we had a little bit of luck go against us with him, which just a disallowed goal. Yeah, an incredible feeling to to get through that game and to have turned it around in such a short space of time, you know, to to see, well, to hear about it happening and then suddenly see the, the highlights subsequently was very, very special. You know, it, ran it off the year uh, in a very very nice fashion but uh, <laughs> slight antithesis uh, 48 hours later over at the Olympic Stadium Rich um, if we could say we were a little bit unlucky with decisions that went our way on Saturday against Middlesbrough it's probably fair to say that we've got <laughs> that luck was paid back to us in spades tonight yeah I, I, oh. I think I said, I said on Twitter like I can't believe the standard of refereeing Particularly in United games over the last six weeks. I mean, I know there were decisions before that, but I mean, you know, we, we've had absolutely ridiculous. The Palace game was a farce. That, that the goal disallowed against Middlesbrough was ridiculous. We've had all sorts of decisions that have gone for and against us, to be honest. I, and I think it's safe to say that Mike Dean may have won us that game today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> West Ham weren't looking terrible before Faguli got his marching orders. You know, they looked up for it. You know, considering that they played two days previously, just as we did, they looked quite sprightly. So it looked like, and I was spending the, the evening with a couple of friends watching this in the pub, and I noted that it, it just seemed like they were up for this. I didn't see it being an easy game whatsoever. It didn't necessarily prove to be any easier with uh, with 10 men, but yeah, the, the Faguli red card, it definitely changed the game. What was your view of it? I don't think it's as ridiculous as... A lot of people have said, although I don't think it was a red card, but I can see why it was given. If you, if you look at it, you know, Figuri clearly didn't try, wasn't trying to hurt Jones. But Jones did get to the ball first and hot mm. the whole weight of his body and his and his feet piled into Jones. And I think Jones's reaction certainly yeah. the only, the only way I can helped look at it Mike is, Dean. Yeah, I think the only way I can look at it is that with Mike Dean's view of that, his assumption is that Faguli's essentially studied Jones. If you look at the back of the replay, yeah, you know, essentially they've clattered into each other, and Faguli's legs have gone underneath Jones, so it doesn't look as bad from that angle. Maybe the only way you can say it is that Mike Dean's seen it and just assumed that 
Fagulis got in far too recklessly and caused some serious damage, and Jones's reaction didn't necessarily help with that one. But that's the only way I can think that he thought that was a red card. Yeah, I, I tend to I tend to think there's a rule: if a player's rolling away, then he's not actually that badly hurt. Um, Jones did the full squeal and a couple of rolls, and I think that was probably the difference. I think if he just stayed still, it might not have been been a red card. But as you say, if, if Mike Dean's behind that, I can see why he might think that was a really nasty challenge. Even though there was a, there clearly was absolutely no intent at all. I mean, in reality, I think it was probably a yellow card. But I'm, I'm not as I'm not as vehement in saying that it was an absolutely ridiculous decision as some people are. No, I have a feeling he was going to reach for red, though, to be fair. I could just see that look in his eyes. Yeah, and I don't know, those watching on, on Sky, the, uh, the commentator just assumed that Jones had been sent off, which was high mouth moment um, for, for about 45 seconds until somebody worked out what on earth was going on. I mean, it, it, it's classic Phil Jones in the context for him to be sent off for that challenge, but not not, not, not so much modern day. I think he's, he's better than that now, in the theory. Yeah, I mean, my first reaction was the fact that he was really badly injured and I thought, well, he's, there's Jones you know, broken himself again. Yeah. Um, and it didn't actually, he didn't actually appear. I mean, the, the, the camera angle was fairly fairly far out when, when when the tackle happened so you couldn't see it too closely and then the camera immediately panned in on Jones writhing around on the floor. So it wasn't actually clear how bad the challenge was or, or who hit who where um, mm. for a while. You know, as I say, watch you back, I don't, I don't think it was a red card, but I, I can see why Mike Dean might have given it if he was behind it. Mm, for sure. I mean, that was essentially one of two moments in that first half we're talking about. You know, we didn't necessarily take mm. advantage of that 10 men at all. You know, you can talk about the fact that this was United's second game in the space of just over 48 hours. And there is some weight behind that. You know, it, the gap between the day on Boxing Day and the one on Saturday, you know, it, it's not... Normally you have a little bit more spacing out here, I guess, to a certain extent anyway. So that's always going to be an issue. And I think United did find it difficult to break West Ham down as a result. You know, we weren't necessarily playing at any great pace. We spent a large part of that first half, you know, subsequent half an hour sort of you know, just gently prodding, you know, poking, seeing what we could do. The only real chance that happened in that entire half was when Mkhitaryan flashed it across the goal and Randolph pulled up that incredible save from Valencia and kept it, what was it, about an inch uh, just inside the post yeah. for that goal line technology decision. It was a remarkable save. And Lingard instinctively chucked out a leg and then hit the post. That was it. They were terrible misses. I mean, let's not, you know, Randolph did, he was incredible to, to get, claw that ball back but mm. god they were awful misses you know Valencia had a, I know it came too quickly Valencia had a whole goal two thirds of the goal to put that in and then mm. Lingard's three yards out and he just needs a bit of composure and, and to tow it over the line and he's hit the, I mean that's not it's an awful miss really isn't it uh, um, the only thing you can say is it's come at him quite quickly and he wasn't necessarily set but that's the difference between you know a player that he's prepared for that situation the one that isn't to a certain extent isn't it yeah yeah I mean he did come at quickly but yeah, this is one of the issues with Lingard. I mean, this this makes people particularly angry. He he's not as good a footballer as some of the alternatives. But one of the things about Lingard is that he's often better scoring. He often scores the more difficult ones, but misses the easy ones. Um, almost a, a case of when he has too much time to think, then he he flaps. But if he if he has to do something instinctively or he shoots from distance, then you know his nerve doesn't go as much. So, yeah, that was just another example of that, I think. No, I'd agree with that. I think, I mean, Christopher Davis asked us this question, so we'll, we'll, we'll nip over to that quickly. Can anyone summarise the Lingard situation in a couple of lines? In my opinion, he just isn't good enough for a title-winning side. Um, I mean, 
he still doesn't strike me as a player that can be a starter for United week in and week out. And I think that's the difference between him and the likes of Martial and Rashford and Mkhitaryan. Each of those three players you could see starring in this team for years to come. And when it comes to Lingard, there's still that element of doubt in terms of his consistency and his ability to really turn a game on its head. You know, you look at the way United completely changed the complexion of the game when when Rashford came on. You know, Rashford's got this, you know, live wire element to his, you know, to his pace and his dribbling, especially on that left-hand side tonight, as we saw, that just makes things happen. You know, it doesn't always happen, but, you know, and we've seen that plenty of times during the season when Rashford's come on or he struggled on that left-hand side. Tonight, it, he showed the difference between him and Lingard for me, and it's he can make something happen out of nothing. And as good as Lingard can be on occasion, and as lovely as goals as he can score, if you're talking about doing it week in, week out, I think I think that's where you're ahead of him. People get very very defensive of Lingard, you know, for the perfectly valid reason that he's one of our own. He knows that he's a, an academy graduate, and mm. we we want academy graduates to succeed. The problem with Lingard is, as you said, he doesn't have the ability of the other alternatives in in his positions. He doesn't have an exceptional skill. You know, he's he's quick without being incredibly fast. He's not really a dribbler. He's not a great finisher, although he can score great goals. You know, his biggest his biggest talent really is his his movement. That's what that's what gets him anywhere near the team. I think the fact that he's quite good at finding spaces and um, he's reasonably dynamic. But I can't. You know, he's twenty four. He's not nineteen, and I don't see enough in him to suggest that he really should be part of a really top-level football team. You know, I understand he's got his use at the moment and he had a good game at West Brom. So particularly at times when we've got a lot of games and we need to rotate, he's you know an able squad player and he, he'll be loyal and he'll do his job. Yeah, he's a good option, I think, essentially, but not a hell of a lot more than that, is my no, exactly, honest yeah. opinion on it. And that's coming from yeah. a place of love because he's a lovely little lad. Just not quite on that same level. And yeah. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with saying that because it's not being anti, you know, academy player to suggest that there might be players at the club who are a little bit better than he are. You know, he's still nice. That's fine. Anyway, moving on. Even though we were playing with a man advantage for the best part of, oh gosh, 75 minutes, <laughs> there's definitely an element of us being indebted to David De Gea once again this evening. There's that curling effort that Lanzini had in the first half. Actually, one of uh, two, two other notable moments in that first half. I do apologise. Uh, let's see. Antonio headed wide from Pyatt's free kick in that second half. And then... Rich, Marcus Rocco's loose pass to Herrera in that second half. Just before Matt had put us ahead, Antonio racing through on goal. Arguably could have taken a touch, but didn't and went for that low shot. And if there was anyone on the entire planet, I would want to be in goal for us at that exact moment in time. Apart from maybe, I don't know, He-Man? It was Dave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a I mean, lovely stop. He got out very quick. I don't, it wasn't the greatest finish, and I think Antonio could have had more composure, but but De Gea was out so quickly. And if you if you contrast that to Martial's goal against Middlesbrough on Saturday, and Valdez was just rooted to the line, and it made the, it made the, the finish easy for Martial. Whereas you know De Gea was 12, 13 yards off his line in a, in two seconds when that came in, and and by the time Antonio got the ball, he didn't have a great angle to 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 finish. And that was, you know, the the thing about the game was, that even though we're playing against ten men, we really weren't convincing. I don't think anybody was playing particularly well, and West Ham actually looked like they could have snatched that game. Um, certainly, the, the Antonio header was a great chance, and then and then that chance as well. 
you know, considering we were playing against 10 men for, we played against 10 men for about 50 minutes by that point, we didn't actually look like we were short, you know, certain to win the game. And then Rashford. Yeah, and that, again, we talk about Mourinho making substitutions that change games. Um, one was bringing on Mata. Yeah, we used to look better when Mata came on, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, the, <laughs> it's surprising. We look like we had more zip in our play, you know, and I'm not necessarily suggesting that's purely because Juan Mata was on the pitch. I think partially that was because they probably got a massive bollocking for Mourinho at half time. Yeah. But <laughs> there we go. You know, it, they looked like we were a lot more purposeful after Mata came on. And then after that, uh, Antonio missed chance. You know, Carrick with a lovely pass out to Rashford as he is, you know, want to do. What I think one of my favourite parts of that whole build-up was that once Rashford had just gotten close to the byline, as opposed to trying to slip in what would have been a very, very tight cross, he had enough foresight just to think, I'm going to pull this back. And great presence of mind to pull pull it back for Mata. And a lovely finish into the, the bottom of the net. It was a really good finish, actually. If you look at it, he, he had to, he had to pull that him, quite a long it? way. Yeah, he was quite behind him and he had to pull that right across his body. Um, I think I was... I was looking at a stat that Squawker tweeted earlier, and it's uh, it's got most goals and assists by midfielders in the Premier League since 2011-2012. I saw that same thing. It was 86 for David Silva and 85 for Juan Mata. That's right. 82 for Hazard and 80 for Yaitore. And I think that's what that's what Mata brings. He he's not the right man for every occasion, but he will always provide you with creativity, assists, and he'll pop up with with goals. Which again, in the last few years, from midfield, is something we've missed enormously. I mean, to be honest, now we've we've got incredible riches really in the attacking midfield positions and 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 in midfield with Pogba, and we're in, we're in a position now we perhaps couldn't have imagined eighteen months ago or twelve months ago, where we've got you know we've got a lot of goal volume from from our midfielders. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anytime Juan Mata scores a goal, my heart instantly skips a couple of beats. He's wonderful. I'm a massive fan of his, but. You know, speaking objectively, he has helped United in two tricky games over the last couple of days. You know, that to try and get that cross in, to see it charge down, immediately jump straight on the ball to get the ball in for Pogba for United second on Saturday, and then to be in the right place at the right time to stroke home a goal. And in what was a really tricky game for United, we didn't create a hell of a lot, even as you know the second goal went in, and subsequently, you know, West Ham stayed relatively solid we didn't really have a hell of a lot of luck we did not have a hell of a lot of luck against them whatsoever so it was really important that when the ball came to someone in that situation after Ashford had pulled it back that it was there to someone who was you know wanting you know capable of scoring and Matter is very much yeah he's got he's got the composure to do it from that situation and, and in that space so that was absolutely wonderful to see and speaking again of luck, uh, the United second goal, Ibrahimovic, not wildly offside, but certainly offside enough for it to be a little bit obvious, Rich. He, he was pretty wildly offside. I mean, he's a good good yard, I'd say, isn't he? I don't, I don't think even he could believe it, to be honest. He, he, well, he looked mean, over, didn't he? He did. I mean, it's an incredibly powerful finish, but I just I watched it and I thought, well, that's offside, that's not going to count. It was, it was that, it was so clear. Yeah, I think it just finished off the game for Mike Dean and his team. Honestly, I, I just, I can't even describe the depths to which refereeing has plunged in the last month, just in general, but that kind of summed up, I suppose that summed up West Ham's day because they were unlucky and they were a bit cheated, to be honest. I think, I think, I think they actually played pretty well considering the obstacles in front of them, but it was a good, it was a, a good, powerful finish, and it's nice that he keeps his run going. But it was heinously offside. Yeah, I, I don't think we can. 
I think we have to essentially look a gift horse in the mouth on this one and just say, yes, we we were lucky today to get the decisions our way. But several times over the last couple of years, you could say that United would have been beneficiaries of decisions along those lines and then not taking advantage of it. You know, we would have struggled to break down teams and not gotten those goals. The difference is that we've got match winners on the pitch now who can make things happen for us and... You know, when things are very tight, they can find the space and exploit it and make things happen, which is excellent. You know, to be able to get through a game like that, you know, so many instances over the last two or three years, you could say now we would have struggled to to make the space, to create the chances, to score the goals that would have turned one point into three. And it does feel like at the moment we have turned a massive, massive corner over the space of the last month coming into January now that you're able to trust United a little bit more in those sort of circumstances, aren't you? If you look back at the the run of wins that we've had in the league, perhaps with the Tottenham game, except in the Tottenham game, I mean, even when we, I think we were probably largely the better team in that game by some distance, but we've we've dominated games the last the games we've won, and the natural impact of us having so much of the ball and putting so much pressure on teams is that they tire, they really tire. And we're taking advantage of that late in games because we're just wearing teams down. You know, their, their midfielders must just must despair of, of turning and having to chase Pogba back towards you know towards their goal. Or we move teams around. The, 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 you know, it's the, the irony of the LVG system was that the, we were supposed to we were supposed to retain the ball and move move the ball from side to side and tire teams out. But in, in effect, it didn't. They just sat compactly, at, you know, a certain distance from goal and didn't really tire. Whereas now we are actually really really wiping teams out and you can see by the end I mean again the Sunderland game as well they they put an awful lot into that game but we just we wore them down and they, they didn't have anything left at the end yeah I'm not necessarily sure we're overpowering teams but we're overcoming them which is something that <laughs> hasn't necessarily been the norm in the post-Ferguson years you know it's not we're something do, but we're dominating aren't we, we? We're, yeah we're dominating yeah. possession and, and and the flow of the game I mean, talking about, oh, good grief, dominating possession and the flow of the game. Do you know who you sound like? <laughs> and territory Absolutely as appalling. well. Territory. Oh, gosh, don't. <laughs> we have no need of that language here. Well, okay, but we're, impo- we're imposing ourselves on games. That is true. We are certainly a much stronger opposition this season than we were last. And that leads nicely into our first question of the night from uh, F. Yeah, Nate. Uh, special mention for 13 games unbeaten since the 3rd of November. Hello, Michael Carrick. Exactly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what about the difference between United tonight and uh, two days ago against Middlesbrough? You know, Carrick had a cold uh, on Saturday, but was uh, capped in today and played the full 90 minutes. What, did you, what difference do you think Carrick makes in those two games? You can see the difference when Fellaini plays instead of him in that our build-up tends to be a lot slower. We've obviously not got the distribution from Fellaini. He, he receives the ball and he tends to lumber a bit and then make this make a simple pass and we struggle to uh, stretch teams as much we struggle to break as quickly and you saw for the for the goal as you say it was Carrick's pass to Rashford you know skin the two fullbacks and pulled it back for Matter and it, it was a, a pass which looks relatively simple but it's a pass that Fellaini doesn't make we stu- I think we stumbled upon partnerships this season we stumbled upon, upon Jones and Rocco and we kind of stumbled into Carrick, Herrera and Pogba but we found a trio in midfield that just the balance is absolutely perfect and it mm. gets the best out of Pogba. You know, Pogba doesn't have to think too much about the, the defensive side of his game. He can he can get the ball, he can dribble, he can go past players and not worry about what's behind him. And he also knows, knows that if he goes into more advanced positions that he's got a good chance of getting the ball from Carrick, whereas he wouldn't get it from Fellaini. 
And I think he just made so much difference to our tempo and to our ability to move move teams around the pitch and to break quickly out upfield. You know, he's another one at Lucky Bohimovic, is thirty five. That's that's really defying defying the, the the aging process. Kieran Coyle asks, who, if any, is going to slip out of the top four to allow us in? It's a tricky one, though, isn't it? Yeah, I, there's something wrong at City. Well, I know their defence is crap, but there's something that's not right there. I mean, we've seen um, BBC did an interview with Guardiola after today's match and he basically had a bit of a meltdown. Did he? No, I've, I've heard mention of it, but I didn't actually hear any of it. Paint me a word picture. And there's a little there's a little story in the uh, in the Times today about the one of the hacks coming across him after the Liverpool game, um, talking to uh, Begiristein after the game and, and, and absolutely sort of raving about his his players and their, why they hadn't done what they were supposed to do and their mistakes and their tempo and there's something not right there and they've got very bad defenders <laughs> and and I don't think he knows how to correct that and it's one of the frustrations we have with Van Hal and to a degree Moyes as well that when things aren't going right they, they don't they never had another way to to play, it was just keep banging away with the same system. City have got good enough players, attacking players, that will win a lot of games. But I just wonder whether they're they're going to be what quite inconsistent again for the rest of the season as they were last season. And we're only three points behind. Three points behind them. That's true. That's true. Preferably, it would be Liverpool or City. You know that that would be lovely. You know Liverpool showing a, a l- tiny little bit of inconsistency today with that 2-2 draw at uh, Stadium of Light. Arguably the best thing Moyes has done since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. Yeah, absolutely. Dear, oh dear. Not that I ever want to give him credit, but I'll I'll give him a nod today. Yeah, we'll we'll give him a knowing nod, maybe a raise of a glass and then suddenly look away. But yes, um, City, I would be surprised if they dropped out. I, I think you're right in your assertion that there's something not quite right over it that way. But my inkling is probably for Spurs slash Arsenal. I think this could potentially be the year if United are able to be consistent enough and if Spurs are able to stick, you know, stick together for long enough because you saw them sort of fall apart towards the end of last season a little bit to Arsenal's finish second, whether or not this could be the year that Arsenal eventually finally tail off and their uh, their fairy tale run of uh, top four finishes uh, ends. But we'll have to see. I mean, taking the focus away from the clubs that are above us at the moment, United are in a very good run of form. You know, there's there's the Reading game and the uh, FA Cup at the weekend, and there's Hull in the EFL Cup semi-final first leg in midweek, and then the next league game, which is a gigantic one, is Liverpool coming to Old Trafford. So we are arguably much better set up than we were for that game a couple of weeks ago. You know, we are we're playing well, we're scoring goals. You know, fairly consistently. We're not blowing teams away, but we are winning well which is something that we couldn't say earlier on in the season. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that unfolds. Got a really nice run of games. I know I said it in the last pod. If we can beat Liverpool, we'll be two points behind them. We've got we've got Stoke who are, you know, it's always going to be tricky going to Stoke, but they're, they're not playing great. We've got Hull at home in the league. We go to Leicester. We've got Watford at home. We've got those games before we play City away in, at the end of February. So the potential is there for, for us to win the next three or four games. And I think at that point, then we will certainly be in the top four and we'll have a better idea. I mean, Chelsea, Chelsea have got a stinking next month. They've got City, Arsenal and Liverpool, I think. Leicester they've got away. Spurs on Wednesday. Spurs, yes. So they've got Spurs on Wednesday. They've got a really nasty month this month um, and it'll be interesting to see how they, they come out of that. But all mm. of the top six teams have got 
weaknesses. And if you look at them at the moment, you almost suggest that United have probably got less obvious weaknesses to their game as things stand at the moment than any of the teams above them bar Chelsea. That's famous last words. I remember that in a month's time. Teddy asks, are we finally out of transition phase? Has the shadow of Sir Alex Ferguson finally been eradicated? I don't necessarily say you can say it's been eradicated until we do something big like win the league or, you know, qualify for the Champions League for more than one successive season. (laughs) That'd be nice. It, it, It feels like... This feels different at the minute to anything we had under Van Gaal and anything we had under Moyes to the point where you expect more from United now. And we are still not playing amazing, fantastic football that you could say should get us winning the league week in, week out. But we look better, we look more confident and we look stronger and we've got more of a a depth of quality to the squad than we've had for some time. So yeah, it it does feel different to any other point since Ferguson retired for sure. The, The real test and, you know, and if you're talking about eradicating the shadow... It's all going to be about doing something big like we're in the league. And right now we're not there, but we seem like we're on the right course. Uh, Andrew Dayton asks, who's coming in in January and who's leaving? I mean, doesn't look like anyone's coming in in January at this stage, does it? Uh, Lindelof, no. the Lindelof talk has gone right down the pan. Yeah, I mean, it looks like Schneiderlin will go if, if West Brom or Everton stump up whatever our, our fears. It'd be really interesting if you actually if you went to West Brom because, you know, Tony Pulis, surprisingly, is getting quite a few good players together there they're becoming quite a good team um and it wouldn't be a bad move for him and i think we're likely to see memphis go somewhere on loan whether that be everton or somewhere else because you know it's, it's just become completely pointless him wasting you know just wasting his year away at united you know marina is clearly not going to play him he, he said last week that he asked to leave a couple of months ago which is why he's not been playing since I'd be disappointed if we completely gave up on him at this stage i'd rather we had a loan somewhere just to see if he could turn it around it, it, as you say in terms of players coming in it, it looks like Mourinho has had a change of heart on the, the centre-backs and he clearly trusts Rocco now and famous words that I thought I'd never say but at centre-back I kind of trust Rocco as well to a degree <laughs> not not as much as Jones I mean you know Rocco's liable to the odd Rick and, and he's put in a couple of pretty horrible challenges that really should have seen him sent off but um... yeah I'm, I'm just going to stop you there and remind you of the words that you sent Rocco's way for the player yeah. season review at the end of last term when you said the moment the best moment was when he stepped off the pitch for his last game of the season well as, as a left back he's just an absolute disaster isn't he I mean even even when he's played there this season he's just horrendous there but yeah but Mourinho had has seems to have managed to get something out of him at centre-back and in fairness he he was largely a centre-back for sporting as well and he's never really had a long run there apart from the early early months of Van Hull's reign and he actually did okay so I can understand why Mourinho's changed his mind and and thought well you know I'll stick with this because they're not we're not conceding goals. The Cash Patil asks why has the standard of refereeing been so poor this season and what action needs to be taken to solve this? It's a very serious one, that Vikash. It is. I think there needs to be more consequences for referees. I don't know if you you did, you agree. I mean, I know they're graded in there internally, but something's not right, isn't it? Because there has been a clear, enormous drop in standards, particularly in the last month we've seen. So goodness knows, but but something has to be done. Uh, the Wren asks: Dybala or Griezmann? Weigel to replace Carrick again, playing a long game. I, I think Griezmann and Dybala are both absolutely brilliant footballers for, for different reasons. I think Griezmann's more likely than, than Diabala and I'd be perfectly happy with that. I think he's brilliant. Um, Weigl's a really good player. <laughs> Replacing Carrick's so hard because he, he does two roles, doesn't he? He's, he's, he's the holding midfielder, but his, his passing range is incredible as well and you don't get that in a lot of players. So I'm not I'm really not sure what we'll do there. 
Chris McGovern asks, is a lineup consisting of both Mkhitaryan and Mata an ideal possible situation for United? Uh, it's definitely a possible situation. Whether or not it's ideal for Mourinho remains to be seen. Because, I mean, you, you probably need to put Mkhitaryan on the left and then Mata on the right. Yeah? Yeah, I think the problem with that is that, that Mourinho's realised that that three-man midfield gets the best out of Pogba. As you say, unless you play Mata wide, which isn't completely ideal, then I can't see how you could how you could get them both in. And, and, and then you, you're excluding Martial, who I think, when he's in form, is just an incredible option on the wing. So, But, but I mean, I, I forget who said it. One of the, the journalists said on Twitter tonight that, that United have got so many attacking options now. And have they actually got the best array of attacking talent in the Premier League? Which, considering where we were a year ago, is incredible. But if you think about it, we really have got so many options and it's just it's just nice to have have all, all of those options to have and really it's horses for courses isn't it Miguel Gomez asks uh, Mourinho continues to use for lady do you think it's a shop window thing no no I don't think no. it is I think that for reasons beyond my total comprehension Mourinho sees something in Fellaini that he views as useful and Whilst I don't think Fellaini is a complete disaster, I don't agree with it, but there's not much I can say that's going to change his mind. I think he's sussed him now. I think he's there because he's the only alternative we've got, and that's why he played against Middlesbrough. But the first opportunity he gets, he'll bring in another, I think he'll bring another midfielder probably next next summer, and Fellaini will merrily disappear because he's, he'll only have a year left on his contract, and I, God, I can't see us renewing his contract, to be honest. Oof. Uh, our, and the last one is RP at Spoke78 who asks, is there any room in this team, even as a backup impact sub for Rooney? China in the summer then, if that's not the case, right? Do you want it's that? It's isn't it? Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, whether or not Rooney accepts it, and there is a part of me that kind of thinks that he does, there is no arguing that United can be just as functional, just as successful, and arguably just as good without him in the side. You know, and you look at where he could possibly play. Up front, we've got a better striker than him. Number 10, we've got better options than him. Midfield, we've got better options than him. At this stage now, the only way that he's going to get a consistent run in the side, obviously he's injured now, so that's why he's been out for the last two games, is for rotation purposes or if there's an injury. He doesn't get back into the side on a consistent basis in that starting 11 based on merit. You know, he he gets back into the, the only way he gets back into there is those situations. I don't necessarily see that he is now anywhere close to one of Mourinho's key men. The problem is as well is that we're not playing with a number ten. We're mostly not playing with a number ten, except in games where we which we're trying to force it. So, as you say, he's not going to start up front, and he he's not ideal to play wide. So, if we're not playing the formation that suits his whatever's his best position now then where does he play? And I think you're right. I think it, if he's fit, he'll probably appear in the FA Cup and the, the League Cup, get his couple of goals that takes him over the line. But I, I can't see Mourinho using him in any serious sense in, in games that really, really matter. No, no, I agree. I, I don't know whether or not he'll go off to China. I think that remains a, a question to look at in the summer months. But at this stage, I don't think that there's there's really a proper way back for Rooney in terms of becoming a key cog in the United team anymore. I think those days are done. I think he knows that as well. I, I, I think he can see the writing on the wall. And if he gets his, I think all he wants now is to get his last couple of goals, get their record, yeah. and then you know go off to America and for a last payday and a couple of years in the sun. Yeah, fair enough to him. You know, you think he's yeah, probably absolutely. deserved that at this stage. 
there we go rich thanks very much mate we'll leave that there for the evening guys thank you very much for listening as ever don't forget you can get us on twitter you can get me at at you and lennox you can get rich at, at richard can 76 the podcast at red voices mufc and our blog at red voices we'll be back next week you have yourselves an absolutely blinding time cheerio 